All right, I was going to sit today, but somewhere between the worship and the caffeine, I'm awake now. Um, all right. So over the last couple of weeks, we've been in this series called The Great Deception. And we've been looking at how the Satan can deceive us using lies and deceit, right? And Brad's been talking about how those are the main weapons of the devil. And one of the things that Brad has been challenging us to do is to really look and evaluate our lives to see what are the lies that maybe the Satan is trying to tell us or what are the lies that we've even begun to even begin to believe and then ask God, okay, God, show me and then help me overcome these lies. And if we're being honest, that is a very convicting prayer to pray. Because when we realize that there is lies in our lives or we're being told lies, it can be very convicting because, man, it stinks when you find out like, oh, I've been believing that lie in my life. Well, this morning we're going to kind of continue our series and look at another deception in our lives. And that is the disorder of our loves and desires within our life. This morning we're going to spend time in Galatians chapter 5 and Romans chapter 8. And so open up your Bibles to those passages. And if you're using the little Maroon Pew Bible in front of you, it's on pages 1,118 and 1,154. But before we begin, let's start the morning in prayer. Heavenly Father, it's my prayer this morning that you would open our ears to what you have for us to hear. That you would open us, or to open our eyes to see what you have for us to see this morning. It's my prayer that you would awaken the direction of the Holy Spirit in our lives, that we can walk in the Spirit as you continue to forge us into the likeness of Christ. I pray that you would align our hearts with your heart, that our desires and loves in our lives would align with yours. Let your will be done in our lives and here on earth. It's my prayer that everything we say, think, and do would bring glory to you and be honoring of those around us. In Jesus' name we all pray. Amen. So this morning we're going to kind of look at, like I said, the second great deception in our lives, which is how we have disorder, desires, and loves in our lives. So if you open up your Bibles, um, we might as well just, you know, kick it off and begin. So in Paul's letter to the church in Galatia, He writes in chapter 5 this, For you were called to freedom, brothers and sisters. Only do not use your freedom as an opportunity for the flesh, but through love serve one another. For the whole law can be summed up in one word. You shall love your neighbor as yourself. But if you bite and devour one another, watch out that you are not consumed by one another. But I say, walk by the Spirit, and you will not gratify the desires of the flesh. For the desires of the flesh are against the spirit, and the desires of the spirit are against the flesh, and for those and for these are opposed to each other to keep you from doing the things you want to do. But if you are led by the spirit, you will you are not under the law. Now the works of the flesh are evident sexual immorality, impurity, sensuality, idolatry, sorcery, enmity, strife, jealousy, fits of anger, rivalries, dissensions, division, envy, drunkenness, orgies, and things like these. I warn you, as I warned you before, that those who do such things will not inherit the kingdom of God. 
But the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control. Against such things there is no law. And those who belong to Christ Jesus have crucified the flesh with its passions and desires. If we live by the Spirit, let us also keep in step with the Spirit. In chapter 8 of Paul's letter to the church in Rome, Paul writes something very similar to what he wrote in Galatians. For those who live according to the flesh set their minds on the things of the flesh. But those who live according to the Spirit set their minds on the things of the Spirit. For to set the mind on the flesh is death. But to set the mind on the Spirit is life and peace. For the mind that is set on the flesh is hostile to God. For it does not submit to God's law. Indeed, it cannot. Those who are in the flesh cannot please God. In both of these passages, Paul is distinguishing the differences between one following after their flesh and one following after the Holy Spirit. And, there's this, and that's the central theme of the two passages. And between the two passages, the words flesh is repeated 15 times. And the word spirit is also repeated like 12 times. And so what does Paul mean when he uses the word flesh? The Greek word for flesh is sarx. I think I'm pronouncing that right. I never took Hebrew. But like many words in the English dictionary, this word has many different meanings. And the first definition of that is a synonym for the body. Right? Also means kind of humanity when it's used in the plural. It's like, you know, my human body, the flesh and blood. The second definition is talking about one's ethnicity or, you know, explaining one's racial or cultural or national identity. My flesh is Swedish. My flesh is American. And the third definition is animalistic cravings of our body apart from God. These are our sinful passions and our corrupt desires. And this is the last, this is the definition that Paul is using when he repeats it 15 different times. So Paul is writing to the churches in Rome and to Galatia to help them in their fight between their flesh, their corrupt desires and sinful loves, and to cling to the loves and desires of the Holy Spirit. St. Augustine of Hippo sums up the fight that Paul describes in those passages really well. And for those who just misheard me, no, St. Augustine is not a hippo. He is from hippo, even though that is one dang cute hippo. Hippo is just a town that's on, in northern Africa on the coast, which is now modern-day Algeria. But St. Augustine sums it up with this quote, The problem of the human condition isn't that we don't love. It's that we love either the wrong things or the right things, but in the wrong order. In other words, there's no lack of love in the world. There's just a lack of loving the right thing and loving those things the right way. What we can learn here from Augustine is that there's really three types of people in the world. Those who are perfect like Jesus those who love and desire the wrong things, and those who desire good things just in the wrong order. And I don't know about you, I've never met somebody who is like the first. 
And so let's just focus on the latter two there. And if we're truly being honest with each other, we are all guilty of those, or both of those. We all have desires in our lives that are wrong. Right? These are desires that Paul calls our flesh, our sinful and our corrupt desires. And if we're all being honest, we also have all things in our lives that, you know, that are ultimately good things that we have an inclination to elevate above God, which the Bible you know, summarizes as idolatry. And both of these lead to disordered loves and desires in our lives. This morning, I want us to spend some time examining our own lives to see if there is any of those disordered desires and loves in our lives. Because these disordered desires prevent us from experiencing the joy and the peace of being in a relationship with God and walking in step with the Holy Spirit. In Galatians, Paul gives us this super long list, list of all these things that are of the flesh. Right? Sexual immorality, impurity, idolatry, control, enmity, strife, jealousy, anger, rivalry, dissension, division, envy, drunkenness, orgies, and so on. Yes, I know I said that very fast. It's just a long list. But what about the loves and desires in our lives that can be good things? That we just can create into idols when we elevate or put them above or before God. Causing us to miss out on the joy and peace. And so I'm going to go through a couple lists, a list of some of those things. And these are all good things, don't get me wrong. The list I'm about to say, these are all good things. But when we take them to the extreme and we elevate them above God, they can become an idol. They can become warped. And they can cause and lead to some of the desires of our flesh. The first one is job, school, family, or relationships. Right? These are all good. But they can lead us to having our identity being put into what we do or who we are with instead of who we are in Christ. The next one is safety and control. It is not our safety, yeah, safety and comfort. It's not bad to have safety and comfort. They're good. But when we elevate that above God, it can lead to passivity for the sake of keeping the status quo. And it can also prevent us from stepping out in faith for the sake of the gospel. The next one, don't burn me at the stake. Individual rights and freedoms. They're good. It is good to have rights. It is good to have freedoms. But when we make that our idol in our life, if we elevate that above God... It can cause us to live in the flesh as we protect them at all costs, even if it's at the sake or at the expense of others' individual rights and freedoms. In the Bible, Jesus is all about laying down our rights for the sake of others. But in America, it's our, you know, our motto of, you know, our rights don't tread on us, right? And so if we elevate that above God, we can get very close to making those into an idol, National pride. It is not wrong to love one's country. I think we should all want to love our country. But if we love our country so much that we make it into idol, it can be very unhealthy. It can lead us into this unhealthy love where we're unable or we're blind to see maybe the corruption or the bad things or the wrongs that are within our country. 
and we make this, you know, romanticized history of, oh, we're all good, we've never done anything wrong. Which, if you read American history, that is not the case. When we begin to worship our nation, we can end up with this extreme where we believe the United States is this, you know, new Israel of the world, and that maybe, you know, God has a special relationship with us and loves us more differently than any other of the Christians and all the other nations around the world. And this can lead to this corrupt, unhealthy love when we elevate country above God. Now, don't get me wrong. We should love our country. Politics, let's just get a little bit more, you know, controversial. It's important to be involved in politics. I believe politics is one of the best ways we as Christians can fight for racial justice, that we can fight for the poor, the oppressed. I think we all should participate in politics. It's a good thing. But it can lead to an unhealthy love when we elevate it above God. It can lead to our political values dictating and forming our religious values. We can elevate political or politicians into the place of God, rather keeping God in that place. Tim Keller has this quote in one of his pieces in the New York Times, and he's talking about how we as Christians really shouldn't be so married to just one political party. And this is why he says it. In the following both the Bible and the early church, Christians should be committed to racial justice and the poor, but also to the understanding that sex is only for marriage and for nurturing the family. One of these views seems very liberal, and the other looks very oppressively conservative. The historical Christian positions on social issues do not fit into the contemporary political alignments. Sky Jitani a Christian author and pastor, sums it up of what just Tim Keller just said really perfectly in saying just, neither political party has full ownership of biblical morals. The right has a lot of good biblical morals and values. Just like the left has very good biblical morals and values. The right is full of corruption, sin, evil, and all of that. Just like the left is full of corruption, evil, sin, and all of that. We as Christians need to float in between and not allow politics to become an idol above God. When we draw our loyalty so firmly inside a single political party, we forsake the biblical values and morals of the other party. Possession and money, they're not bad. It's not bad or wrong to own things. It's not bad to make a living. But if we fall into the extreme, we, bec- we can become entitled. We can make money an idol where we need the newest, baddest, coolest things all the time, immediately. And that can prevent us from living generously. That can prevent us from living in the presence of God. So we're so wrapped up in making money. Lastly, and honestly, the most convicting for me, busyness, pastimes, and fun. There's nothing wrong about having fun. It's nothing wrong about relaxing. But if we're so busy, we're so caught up with just 
wanting to have our own personal fun time that prevents us from having any time with God. And then we've made it an idol. I'm not sure who said this, and I'll be honest, I don't remember fully what the quote was. I'm going to paraphrase it really poorly right now. But it goes something like this. The main reason we do not experience spiritual the main reason we do not experience spiritual growth is because we don't take the time out of our days to make time for God. We claim we don't have enough time, yet somehow at the same time we can watch four hours of Netflix, play video games, or veg on the couch. I'm not sure what the examples that you used in the original quote. I used those because those that's convicting for me. After a long day of work, I love to go home and just sit, watch TV, play some video games with some friends, just relax. And soon it's 12 o'clock, like, oh, I need to go to bed. I'll, I'll read and pray tomorrow. And then I just repeat the next day. It's not wrong to have fun. I've been telling my youth that God is a God of fun. I think if we're not, if there's no fun in our relationship with God, then we're doing something wrong. But if we're so busy going after all the things that are fun or going after all of our hobbies and don't make time for God, we've made our schedules and time into this disordered value, disordered desire, an idol. So as Paul was getting at in his letters to the Rome in Galatia, if we want to be in relationship with God, if we want to experience the joy and the peace of being in the presence of God, we need to put to death any of the disordered desires in our lives. Whether it's the desires of the flesh or it's maybe the good things that we're inclined to maybe put into an idol above or before God. For the next five minutes, I want us to critically examine ourselves and look at maybe what are the loves and desires in our lives. And so to whether, together, whether it's with your family or maybe it's just individually by yourselves, I want you guys to grab the little notepads in front of you, and there's some hopefully pens in the pews, or maybe use your phone. But I want you guys to write two lists. Okay? The first list, I want you to rank the top ten most important things in your life. That could be your family, that could be relationships, that could be money, possessions, hobbies, whatever it is. I want you to rank what are the top ten most important things in your life. And on the second list, I want you to rank what are the top ten voices or people that are speaking into or influencing and shaping your personal values and beliefs. So over the next five minutes, I want you guys to do that. I know five minutes is not a long time. You probably won't finish. It took me a lot more than five minutes. But if you don't get done, just go in this week thinking through, what are those? So voices, it could be speakers, it could be sources of news, politicians, TV, movies, YouTubers, and so on. But when you write those lists, I want you guys to ask a question. For the first list, be honest with yourself. Where does your faith, where does God rank in your top ten priorities, most ten you know, top most important things in your life. And ask, what do I need to do to make God a priority in my life? Or even, do I actually want God to be a priority in my life? Also ask, are those things in my life, the top thing things I value the most, do they produce the fruit of the Spirit in my life? Or are they producing the fruits of the flesh? 
And in the second list, think through all the voices in your life that either subconsciously or consciously influence your values and beliefs. And ask, are those voices causing me to have values and beliefs that are against God, that are of the flesh? Are there voices in my life that I need to remove? Are there voices in my life that I need to add? Are the voices that I'm listening to, are they producing the fruit of the Spirit? Are they, in turn, producing the fruit in my life? So just take the next five minutes. All right, that's been three minutes, and I hate awkward silences. So I'll let you guys finish at home. And for those who are listening to the audio, it's going to be really awkward for them. Um, But the worship team is going to come up, and they're going to close with the song, a song called Make Room. And this song is all about laying down our idols, our disordered desire, so that we can make room for him in our lives. And this is a new song, and I'm assuming that you probably haven't heard it, and if you have, yeah, I love it. But I want you guys just to listen to the words and just meditate on the list that you were just writing. And just ask the questions, what are the disordered desires in my life that I need God to help me get rid of? And what are the disordered desires in my life that ultimately are good things that I have made into idols? And I need God to help make room for him in those. Because just because we might elevate family or a job or whatever it might be that you were thinking about into an idol doesn't make mean that we have to get rid of it entirely. But when we know that maybe we're inclined to make that thing into an idol, we can be, be proactive in asking God to make room in those things so that instead of us glorifying our family or glorifying whatever it might be, those things can then bring glory to God instead. I want to end on a note of hope because I know I just spent all morning talking about ways that we follow our sinful desires and that is convicting and not fun to listen to. But there is hope in this, that we worship a God of redemption, a God of second chances, of third chances, and if you're like me, a God of bajillion chances. And no matter how many times we may fall prey to our fleshly desires or fall prey into elevating things in our lives above God. God is just to forgive us, to turn, when we turn to him in repentance, he is just to forgive us and say, welcome back, my son and daughter. So cling to that hope. Don't walk away convicted and sad and burdened and like, I'm a crummy person. Because no, you're all beloved by God. One of my favorite quotes I heard recently is that, this is about praying and reading the Bible, but I think it works for this too, is that every single time we find ourselves distracted from God, instead of being burdened like, ah, I'm bad, I'm horrible, we think of it as this, as ah, another opportunity for me to turn back to God. Because he is just standing there with open arms saying, ah, welcome back, I love you. So as we as they play this song right now, just think through our lives. What are things, or how can I make room for God in my life today?